Isaiah chapter 50 is a continuation where we've left off. If you studied with me through the book of Isaiah, you know that each chapter sequentially just kind of has a pathway that God's giving us. And we see in Isaiah chapter 50 some verses and some things he's saying that really are just continuation of where he left off. And about two or three messages ago, we were in Isaiah chapter 48. And Isaiah 48, there was that passage and theme where the Lord spoke about having peace like a river, which is a very encouraging thought. And as we think about peace like a river, it's the kind of peace that God wants us to have. Peace with God and the peace of God in our hearts. With that, we, we know of a song that we sing, and we sang it that week, I think, when I preached from Isaiah chapter 48, that, that hymn that we sing, that's so, such a wonderful, encouraging hymn, Like a River Glorious, and that's a good song. But in the chorus of Like a River Glorious, it says something like this. It says, State upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding, as He promised, perfect peace and rest. What a phrase. What a thought. What a biblical encouragement. Stayed upon Jehovah. It's like leaning against a wall. It has the same idea of Jacob there in the book of Hebrews. By faith, Jacob blessed both the sons of Joseph, leaning upon his staff, worshiping the Lord. It has the idea of King Asa, where he said, we rest upon thee. It has the idea of resting our entire weight upon. We get our word faith from that. Resting our entire weight upon. To lean against. To remain steadfast in Him. Stayed upon God is not mentioned once in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 10 verse 20, we have the very first mention in the book of Isaiah. In that verse it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more stay upon him that smote him, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. Isaiah 26, 3, which we study, a very encouraging verse that many of us lean upon. It says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusted in thee. Isaiah 48, 2, which we, we read a few weeks ago in study. For they call themselves of the holy city, and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. Now this exhortation, repeatedly in chapter 48, and the theme kind of carrying itself in chapter 49, and manifesting itself here again in Isaiah chapter 50, came at a very timely, a very critical time for Israel and Judah. You know, when God's Word was written, you have to remember that there was a timeliness to it. And as we read our, our Bible during the week, and we go through our devotions during the day, there is a timeliness that I watch by which God gives us a specific verse and a specific scripture or thought for the day. And we're just praying about something. We're looking for the leadership of the Lord. And He gives us that leading and direction. And you'll notice here in verse 10, the timeliness of it occurs in verse 10. God spoke about His people walking in darkness and having no light. Now, all of us can identify with, all of us at one time or another in our life can remember walking in darkness and having no light. Uh, I, I think if you've ever experienced that at night, if you had to get up in the middle of the night for whatever reason, maybe you heard a sound in the night or something, and, or for you men, maybe your wife heard a sound and she got frightened and she kicked you and said, hey, get up, I heard a sound, and you're kind of groggy, you get up and you, you're not turning on, you don't turn the light, you're trying to find your way because you think you know your pathway, and then you trip over something or you walk into something and you know what that feeling's like. Um, when we think of darkness, we think about the lights being entirely off. When we think about darkness, we think about daytime ending and nightfall being upon us. When we think about darkness, we think about coming home at night 
and uh, not having a light on and trying getting into the front door, not having night lights or anything and trying to find our way to the light switch. Walking in darkness can be very daunting. Walking in darkness for a long period of time can be very frightening. Have you ever walked into a cave? Have you done a cave exploration? After you go in a little bit into the cave and there's no longer uh, exterior light coming in from, from outside, you know the feeling there. You're just kind of walking in darkness and without any light, you're not sure where to go. The, this, this imagery was given about Judah walking in darkness and having no light. And so God's people were being encouraged here about this matter of darkness, the importance of having the right light in their life. Notice some things as we think about the thought of darkness. Number one, would you notice this morning the horror of darkness, the horror of darkness. That thought comes from uh, over there from Genesis 15:12. In Genesis chapter 15, God has visited Abraham for perhaps, I think, the third time about the covenant promise, about the covenant that he would give him a son. And from that son, there would be a mighty nation. And that nation would be like the sand of the sea. And he just talked about that. And of course, Abraham's an older man and he's almost 85 at this time. This third time God comes to him and he's talking about Isaac, which, you know, just for Abraham and Sarah to get their mind wrapped upon this son and who he would be and how they would have children when they were past the age of childbearing was just an awesome thought for them and one they were just trying to grasp. And so God wanted to cut the covenant with him that night. Now, when, when Jews and people that day made a, uh, a, an agreement about something, they would, have, they would establish what they called a covenant. That meant a, a, a contract that was made that would not be broken, but they would solidify it by cutting the, the covenant. And so what they would do, and you can find this here in Genesis 15, that they would take these animals. And so he took a heifer and he took a bull and he took some pigeons and a turtle dove and he laid them, he cut them in half except for the birds and he laid them on both sides. So you had one side, a half of an animal and some birds, and the other side, half an animal and some birds. And so the idea would be that both parties would walk, would walk between these, this pathway there and they would walk as, as certifying that the agreement to the covenant. Well, God would have to be the first one to do that. But God was, God is not physical. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So Abraham sees Jesus, he takes these animals and he lays them down on the side there and, he, and he's waiting now because he knows that he can't be the first one. It's God who established this covenant and it has to be God who shows himself the way. And so God, you know, perhaps in Abraham's mind, he's wondering, I wonder how God's going to do this. I wonder how he's going to manifest himself because we don't have any idea of a theophany that had occurred at that time. And so uh, nightfall was coming and the Bible says the sun was setting and Abraham took a nap. Abraham went to sleep there. He took an afternoon nap and, uh, and as he did so, he woke up and the Bible says the horror of great darkness was upon him. Genesis 15, 12 says, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Now, this horror of great darkness means that it was dreadful. Uh, it was terrifying. There was great darkness. I mean, everything was pitch black. Before he fell asleep, everything was light. And when he woke up, everything was pitch black. I mean, he just it was kind of like a child waking up after a nap. Maybe the sun was up when the, when the child took a nap. And when the child woke up after extended nap, it's dark. And they're in a room and they're not sure where they're at. And they don't have their bearings together. And they start crying. And that, you know, Abraham was just like a little baby at that moment of time. He was just feeling very much out of his element. And you know, the Bible describes it that the horror, the dreadfulness, the terribleness of great darkness was upon him. The horror of great darkness can take an adult and make an adult feel like a child. In 2018, June 23, 2018, a Thai soccer coach and the assistant coach took 12 of their boys between the age of 11 and 16 on an underground cave expedition. He checked the weather that day and he expected the weather condition to be conducive for this. It's not something that he had never done before. 
And in some way, just kind of like a treat, maybe like a soccer coach or football coach today would maybe just, if the team's done very well, they would take them maybe to the ice cream or something like that, and, or to maybe to McDonald's for a bite to eat. And so for them, it would be a hike down to the cave, and this, was, this cave was known as Tom Luong. And unbeknownst to them, as they were making their way into this, this, this deep cave cavern, which this coach had been into before, a monsoon came, and it was a strong monsoon. A very strong one. It came suddenly. It came with great strength. And just like any monsoon, those, the, 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 the soil there was quickly easy to absorb the rain. But because of that, just like in Arizona, New Mexico, when they, have, uh, when they have rains, they warn you about flash flooding. Flash flooding started to occur in that area where the cave was at. And because it was a descent into the cave, the flash flooding resulted in a humongous amount of water coming in. And before they could do anything, they were so far into the cave and so far away from the light that was there. Everything turned dark and they, the water started to rise. And what was, dry land, what was dry inside the cave became rising waters and a river, if you would. And everything was dark and misty and, and just very, very, just they were out of their element. And these boys and their coach were trapped inside of that cave with these fast rising waters. They estimated as rescuers started to make their way there a few days later, they started to recognize that they were two and a half miles beneath the surface there. They had gone two and a half miles in. Now, I don't think they were two and a half miles in when they started. And when the floods came, they may have been about a mile in. But they had to escape from these rising waters. There was no way they could go back out because it was like a rushing flood coming in through that cave there. And so they had to find their way. They just kept making their way further and further in so they could find some way. And as they noticed that the waters were rising because they could feel it going from their ankles and to their, and to their knees and to their thighs and to their hips, they started realizing these are rising waters. And if we don't find a high place we can stand upon, we're going to be trapped. And so, as you can see from the pictures, that these boys and their coaches found their way there. They were in this place where basically there was no natural light and they had no artificial light that could sustain them. They were in this place of darkness and over time they would experience what Abraham called the horror of great darkness. As rescue tents were being assembled there, they're trying to figure out, first of all, where were they inside the earth? Where were they inside the cave? How far down are they in the cave? And then they started to realize that it wasn't going to be an easy task there. And they recognized there were perils and risks associated with trying to get them out. And almost at that thought, they're wondering, I'm not even sure we can get them out. I mean, there were a lot of great thoughts. The world came together. You might remember Elon Musk even talked about uh, devising a submarine of some kind of, that he would devise and make so he could get it down there to help get them out. And Navy SEALs were brought in to try to figure out what was going on. And so you have to remember now, it would be about 18 days before these, these boys and the coaches would be rescued. And so their immediate goal was, how do we sustain them? How do we keep them alive? How do we get them from going stir crazy? The doctors were assembled and psychology were brought about. And they were asked, what, was the, what is the impact of these boys and these coaches staying inside this cavern of great darkness? And this is what they said. They said, the absence of daylight may do strange things to the boys' internal sense of time and their perception of it. They said these changes could put them at risk of depression, insomnia, and potentially create discord within the group. I mean, they were experiencing both in the inside and the outside what we would call, or what Abraham defined as the horror of great darkness. You see, when we think about darkness, darkness speaks to us about being in a very difficult spot in our life, a very difficult moment in our life where there's really no answers, or really not sure what's going on there. For instance, we might consider that some of, some of us will go through the darkness of sorrow. 
Job said in Job 10.21, Before I go, whence I shall not return, even to the land of darkness and the shadow of death. Job went to this experience because of the deepness of the trials, because of the physical affliction he was feeling. He, he almost felt like in his heart, I don't know if I'm even going to live past all of this. I've lost my children. I've lost my holdings. I've lost my heirs. I've lost my, I've lost everything I've had here. I've lost my, he's just, I've lost my servants, everything here. I'm not really sure what's going on. He experienced the sorrow of darkness. There's, there's suffering in darkness. Listen to what the Bible says here. Micah said this in Micah 7, 18, as God was giving scripture, he had this moment of darkness. He said, I sit in darkness. You know, when you're suffering, when you're going through just extremes and, and, and problems, your life, you're not really thinking about Everything else about you, just thinking about that moment and you feel like you're in such a deep valley of suffering, you feel like you're hurting. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 verse 20, speaking about the great tribulation period and the closing days of the tribulation period, quoting from the book of Joel, it says in Acts 2.20, the sun shall be turned into darkness. Can you imagine what it will be like during the great tribulation time? The suffering, the gnawing of the tongues and the chewing of the teeth and people just thinking through that we're in long periods of darkness where we just don't know what's going to come out of this and they're just seeing all these calamities and they've been through pestilences and they've been through natural calamities and they've seen death and war and all of these type of things going on there are just horrible times the bible says the sun shall be turned into darkness you know when darkness is in our life there's the sorrow of darkness there's the suffering of darkness but i think about this morning about the about the darkness of sin because darkness not only speaks about that difficult place in our life darkness speaks about sin listen to what jesus said in john three nineteen, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world listen to this and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil you know before you and i got saved our proclivity our natural instinct was to be attracted to the darkness and not to the light we were attracted to sin. Men are attracted to lust. Women are attracted to women are attracted to vanity. All of us are attracted to rebellion. Teenagers are moved to rebellion. There's the darkness of sin. Men love darkness rather than light. It's difficult for a sinner to respond to gospel preaching because they love darkness more than they have light. It's difficult for a Christian who's far away from God, who hasn't been in their Bible for eons, who have not spent time in God's presence, who have not prayed. It's difficult for them to have any inclination or proclivity or desire to come towards God because men love darkness rather than light. Look at chapter 50, verse 1. In chapter 50, verse 1, God describes the condition of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I put away? Or, to, uh, or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. God's using the imagery of a divorce, and the idea here is coming out of Deuteronomy 24. He's using the picture and the imagery of a divorce and saying, you know, Israel and Judah have committed spiritual adultery by worshiping other gods, and because of that and because of their persistence, God with long suffering waited for them to turn, but they would not turn back to God. And so God wrote them, if you would, he says uh, symbolically, uh, he, he wrote them a bill of divorcement. He basically separated them away from him because they have, would have to go through a period of chastisement. And he describes the Assyrian captivity of Israel and the Babylonian captivity, which was to come on Judah. He describes that as being sold off to the creditors. Back in those days, if you didn't have the means to pay off your bill at, the, at a man's death, his creditors would come and they'd want dem- they would demand payment because the creditors knew if the breadwinner was gone, they would have to collect somehow. So they realized 
realize he may not have all the assets they need that they could, they could attach for them. So what they would do is they go to that home and the first thing they would do is look and see, does he have any sons? And if he had sons, they would take his sons and put him into labor to pay off the debt. If he had no sons, they would take everything away they could and auction it off there. And so he's talking about here that God, these, these, these people were so far into sin debt that the creditors that would come, the creditors that God put in their lives were the Babylonians for the, for the, the people of Jerusalem and they would put them in captivity for seven years. And he describes the darkness of sin that would be alive. Listen, those Israel, those Jews in those early years, they were taken to captivity of Babylon. The Israelites, as they were assimilated by the Assyrians, you can imagine those early days, the darkness they felt. Our heritage is gone. We're not sure if God will forgive us. We're not sure if God loves us anymore. He does, but they, that's the thought that went through their mind. They were wondering, what's God going to do in our lives? There's the, there's the, the darkness in sin. But then there's the darkness in separation. The hardest things about life is when death occurs. And a family's going through the moments of grieving. Of the awfulness and the hurt and the hollowness of being separated from that loved one for the rest of his life. It's like David, Jonathan David, as you're speaking. Jonathan said to David, he said, thy seat shall be empty. He says, tomorrow you shall be gone and your seat will be empty. And there's a memory of that person. There's a memory of their sitting in that chair. And there's a memory of their favorite place. And there's a memory of their favorite food. And there's a memory of what they enjoyed. And there's a memory of their conversation. But there's just the, the pain and, the, and just the turmoil of just that separation. And we understand that there's, 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 you know, there's the darkness and separation. But I want you to think with me about this. If physical separation causes us horror and trauma and difficulty and sleepless nights and depression and discouragement, can you imagine with me for just a moment, can you imagine with me for just a moment, the horror of spiritual separation from God, of a sinner dying in this life, of not having received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, breathing their last breath like the rich man in Luke chapter 16. And when he opens his eyes in the life hereafter, he wakens knowing that he's in torment in hell, and a great gulf is between him and God, and realizing that he's separated for all of eternity from the God who wanted to save him. Now that ought to grip our hearts, amen? That ought to stir our hearts this morning that spiritual separation, as bad as physical separation may be, spiritual separation is for all of eternity. Spiritual separation from a God who loves us, a God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. To be eternally separated from the God who wants to save us. There's perhaps nothing that's more horrific than knowing that a sinner could spend all of eternity in hell apart from God. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 13. Then said the king to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen to that description. Outer darkness. A great gulf between you and God. In Colossians 1.13, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, spoke about the power of darkness. Verse 10 says here, in the walk in the darkness and has no light. The logic behind it is, you're not going to go very far walking in darkness without no light. 
The logic behind it is that as you walk in darkness, no light, you're going to trip and you're going to fall and you're going to injure yourself and you're going to run into something. Walking in darkness without no light means that you're just going to be going in a circle, going nowhere. You're going to just be in a futile attempt trying to go somewhere. You're trapped where you're at. Just like those boys in the Tom Luong cave, they were trapped there wanting, will we ever come out of this place, this horror of great darkness? Now, there's the horror of darkness, but notice number two, if you would, verse 10. Would you notice secondly, would you notice the hindrance in darkness? Look at verses 10 and 11 with me, please. The hindrance in darkness. And actually, verse 11. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire, and in the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall you have of my hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. We go from the image of someone who is walking in darkness having no light to the image of someone saying, okay, I can't take this anymore. I have to do something about it. And so the Bible describes the natural inclination. This person that's in darkness says, I will kindle my own fire and I will walk in the light of my own sparks. Did you see that? That's your natural inclination. You go camping, your inclination is, as you prepare, part of camping is your preparation, your checklist, everything, having a survival mindset. You're thinking about, okay, I'm going to have to make a fire, so I better make sure I've gotten some wood while it's daylight, and I better make sure I've got devices and tools that I need that I can kindle a fire, and I better make sure I've got enough that can keep the fire going so I can cook my food and have a fire burning through the night, and I better make sure I've got enough for that. So that's our natural inclination. And God is using that imagery to help us understand. If you can remember back in those days, he's saying, here's someone that's walking darkness that has no light, and here's what the person's saying, okay, here's what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to walk in my own darkness. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make my own light. I'm going to kindle my own fire. And I'm going to walk in the sparks of my own fire. You know what he's saying there? I'm going to solve my own problem. I'm going to create my own life. I'm going to find my way out of this. I'm going to get out of this cave. I'm going to make my own fire. I'm going to, even if it's artificial fire, I'm going to make my own fire. I'm going to kindle my own fire and walk in the light of it. He's saying there, I'm going to try to find my way through because it's my darkness. So I'm going to find my way through it. I'll find my path. There's some way I'll get to it, but I'll kindle a fire and I'll walk in the sparks thereof. First, you notice in verse 11, this speaks about how you and I try to find, create our own light out of our own darkness. Trying to solve your problems your way. That you'll involve God only after you've exhausted every remedy that you've chosen. You know, today's, today's remedy for the average Christian today, I get it every week, the average, the remedy for most people is this, they, they come into a difficulty, they come into a tough spot, they've got to make a decision, so here's what they do, they pull five or six people they're very close to and ask them, what do you think about this, and what do you think about that, and what they do is, they take the decision, they get the opinion that they agree with the most and say, that's the opinion I'll follow, that's the one that I'm going to go with, and so we walk in the light of our own fire and the sparks that we have kindled there. Uh, today, it might be a Christian who's going through anxiety disorder and a difficult time and their mind is obsessed with something and they can't sleep at night and they're having difficulty eating and whatever it may be, they're going through this awful time of anxiety and depression. And so they say this, I've tried praying, but it didn't work. I've tried reading the word of God. It didn't work. I've tried listening to Pastor Fong preach the word of God, but it didn't work. So you know what they do? They make an appointment with their, with their primary care provider. Their primary care provider refers them over to a psychologist, psychiatrist. They sit down, describe this problem. The psychologist goes through the same 
same questions they all go through. They ask, have you tried exercise? Have you tried sleeping? Have you tried taking melatonin? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you tried this? Have you tried? They tell you this. They say, have you tried yoga? Have you tried? Have you tried a trans- transcendental meditation? Which, by the way, I'm just going to tell you right now. Stay away from yoga. Stay away from transcendental meditation. Those are Eastern mysticism. Those are against God. That has nothing to do with Christianity. Amen. And they say, well, why don't you try this? And so the doctor starts getting all these answers. Yeah, I've tried that. It doesn't work. Melatonin doesn't work. I've tried deep breathing. It doesn't work. I've tried yoga. It doesn't work. I've tried running at night. It doesn't work. I started exercise. tried work. I still don't have an appetite. I'm still sad. I'm still, I'm still upset with all these things there. Nothing's changed there. I tried going to church. And honestly, I'm a Christian. I've, I've tried praying, but praying doesn't work. I've tried meditation. It doesn't work. I've tried all these different things. It doesn't work. And so they say, I've tried all these things. I've tried to walk. And so they say, here's what we'll do. They write you out a prescription. That's what they do. They can't do anything. They write you a prescription. Do you know the number one leading prescription today are antidepressants? It's not high blood pressure medication. It's not cholesterol medication. It's not medication preventing strokes. It's not any of that stuff. The number one prescribed medication is antidepressant medication. They take the antidepressant medications. And kind of, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I'm not saying it doesn't have application. I'm just saying here's what's going on. They, 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 they say they've tried it, but they've tried the things of God, but they really haven't tried it. Because the Bible is, God's word doesn't change. God's word is true. He says, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon. Here's the problem. If your mind is on the problem, your mind is not on God. That's where the problem is. Amen? The problem is not God. The problem is your remedy. You're walking in light of your own fire and the sparks that you've created. Some who are going through conflicts, personal conflicts, we seem to be in day and age and time, especially with this, 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 this COVID. And by the way, I've said this repeatedly. COVID-19 has brought the best and the worst out of people. COVID-19 has shown where there's some, some difficulties and cracks in marriages and relationships and friendships. And as a result of that, there's more hostilities and things going about. They've got a new term right now. They call quiet stress that people go through right now because of COVID-19. And they describe all the symptoms of quiet stress. The bottom line is that they're, they're just in this darkness and they're walking the light of their own fire and trying to walk in the, in the sparks that they've kindled there. And so here's what they do. If they take, can't, can't find a resolution, some human way in that, they, they basically say, well, we're not going to take it to God. We're not going to find God's way. Hey, listen, God's way about resolving conflict. Conflicts, the face of conflict went on. Be forgiving towards a person. Adopt Ephesians chapter 4. Be kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. That's always been the biblical remedy for personal conflicts. Amen. Sinners think that, you know what, I, I understand about this matter of salvation. I just want to tell you as we come out of COVID-19, be aware of of increased hostility against Christianity. You ought to read, I didn't send it out yet, but you ought to read the comment that Chris Cuomo said about Christians yesterday. There is an anti-Christian hostility right now. And they're basically telling Christians, you can believe that, but you better keep it in the dark. Don't tell us that your convictions about the Word of God. And don't you stand in trial and tell us that you believe God's Word works. And don't tell us. We don't want to hear about that. We don't want to hear about your crutch. Listen, we don't have a crutch. We have Christ. Amen. Walk in the light of your own fire and the sparks that you've kindled. I'll solve it my way. I'll do it my way. Hey, a sinner says, I, listen, I've heard the preaching, but listen, I'll get to heaven my way. I'll find my pathway. I'll find my religion. I'll find, listen, for by grace are you saved through faith and the not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works as any man You can try any way you can, but it's not good works that save you. It's the grace of God that saves you. 
trusting in yourself. Proverbs 12, 15 says, listen, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. If you always think you're right, you're always trying to prove you're right through your logic and your scheming and all that. Listen, that wisdom, that is not wisdom which is from above. That wisdom is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Listen, that wisdom that says I can solve it my way and walk in the light of my own fire and kin- walk in the light and the sparks have kindled and saying I've, I've got the right wisdom. But listen, spiritual wisdom is first pure and then it's peaceable and easy to be entreated. The wisdom that is here in this earth is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Then notice, if you would, verse 11, the second part of verse 11. In the first part of verse 11, he says, Walk in the light of your fire and the sparks of kindling. You know what God's saying here? Okay. I'll let you do it. You've been there. I've been there. I'll let you do it. You think you can solve your, your backsliding your way? You think you can deal with your sin your way? You think you can avoid sin? You think you can avoid God? You think you can run from God? Hey, listen, Jonah tried to solve things his way. Jonah thought he could run from God. He tried to do his Jonah thing, and he paid the fare and boarded the ship and gone down, gone down to Tarshish thinking he could run from God. And he was in the hiddenmost part of the ship, and a storm came there. God caught up with him. He was trying to walk in the light of his own fire and the sparks that he created. Hey, I, I think about the fact of men, men like that in, in the Bible who tried to do their same type of thing, and it didn't work there. And so God says, it's okay, I'll let you do it. All right, Elimelech, I'll let you go to Moab. Okay, Jonah, I'll let you pay the fare and board the ship to Tarsh. I'll let you do that. But this is what God has to say. But look at verse 11. This shall you have in my hand. He says, now you can do that, but let me tell you the, what you're going to reap. This shall you have in my hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. The lie down in sorrow is talking about the patheticness of our regrets. I wish I'd turned to God in the beginning. I wish I'd prayed to God in the beginning. I wish I stayed upon the Lord. I wish I trusted God. Let me give you an example. In Acts chapter 27, we have a wonderful story. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. The Apostle Paul has got his heart, his mind set in going to Rome. He's been falsely accused. He's going to give a defense for himself. He wants to let them know, I'm a Roman citizen, but I want you to know above being a Roman citizen, I'm a citizen of heaven. So he says he wants to get a, he wants an appeal before Caesar to get with Caesar. So they found a, they found a ship of Alexandria going down to that way there. So he boarded the ship with the centurion and those who were with him. The time of their, their ship travel was late fall, was between late September and early October. Late September, early October were very hazardous times and very perilous times to sail on the Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean Sea during the fall season is perhaps the time of the most number of storms. It's just like it is around Asia and the Middle East. There's, there's these, these, these wind factors and things that develop and there's monsoons and cyclones and hurricanes and things that come and they're very unexpected and, and everybody knew that, mariners knew that, but they would take their risk and they would try to to determine from following the stars and, and, they, and, and all of the astronomy and all those type of things. They tried to follow the way there. And so they paid the fare and went on to the ship thereof. And they were kind of sailing along for a little bit of time. And there were no winds. And they parked themselves at a certain island about to get ready to go. The Apostle Paul finally stood up and he said something. He went to the centurion that he was bound to. And the centurion was very kind to him. And the centurion was nice to Paul. I mean, he was just a godsend to him. And he told the centurion, said, listen, sir. He says, I, I don't think it's a wise idea that you go on this trip. He says, this, this ship, this travel will be of great expense to everyone. He says, it will be of great loss. And you have to bear in mind, this was a cargo ship. And cargo ships had a substantial amount of cargo. They were taking, it was a ship of Alexandria, if it tells you anything 
everything from there. And so a ship of Alexandria go, going to, would eventually make its way to Alexandria, Egypt, and would make its way down there. And so this cargo, you have to just imagine, in our equivalents would be millions and millions of dollars of cargo and ship equipment and passengers. There, the Bible tells us there were, I think, 227 men that were on that ship there. And so you can imagine that all, the, all that was on there. And Paul goes to the centurion, and he says, Sir, I don't think it's wise that you take this trip. I think we need to stay here at this island. We should wait till the fall season pass. Let's wait a couple months so there'll be no loss to the ship, no loss of men's life. That's what Paul said. Read it there in Acts 27. But the Bible says this about the centurion. He went and conversed with the shipmaster, and he believed the words of the shipmaster more than he believed the words of Paul. And so they went on their journey. And they went on their journey. As they were on their journey, they were hardly out there a day or two. And the Bible says this great cyclone came. In fact, the name of the cyclone was called Eurycladon. Eurycladon means a massive cyclone, a great hurricane hit them. And as you read the story there, the ship was tossed about like a little toy boat in a bathtub. And it was just tossed about hither and thither. And as they started to realize that water was getting into the ship, and they're out in the middle of the ocean, the Mediterranean Sea, with no one there to help them. There was no coast guard. There were no other ships out there. They were all by themselves. They started to unload all this cargo. Wheat was being thrown overboard. Goods were being thrown overboard. Imports and exports and things were being thrown overboard. And if that wasn't enough, they had to start letting go of the ship's lading and things of that nature. And things got so bad, they could hear the ship creaking and roaring. And so they, they took these large cable ropes they had, we call, that they had there. They were called helps in those days. And these large cable ropes they had, they were thick ropes about this thick there. They were designed specifically. And men were taught to be on those ships when that happened. They would be taught to, so they wouldn't hurt themselves. They would tie that rope very tightly around the ship to keep it from falling apart. And so that the word helps, we call that frapping. They would put the frapping around the, around the ship to keep it from falling apart there. They did all that. And they took the sail down. But the ship was in a perilous situation. And as it went on, Dr. Luke describes the scenario this way. He said, everything was thrown overboard. There is no sun, nor stars many days, and no small winds. And it says, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. That's what Dr. Luke wrote. Paul, Luke, Aristarchus, all his friends, the centurion, the shipmaster had been through these perilous situations like this. They recognize there's been no stars, there's been no moon, there's been no sight. We are in deep trouble. All hope that we should be saved is lost. Now, God did save them. Amen? And God did help them. Because an angel of God came to Paul because God's will, God wasn't finished with Paul. And let me tell you, sometimes you might be going through the darkness of something there and you might feel this is it. You just, just thank God. You, you'll know if God's finished with you now. You'll know if God says this is the end of the story, this is the end of the journey. And God wasn't finished with Paul. Paul, he said, Paul, now I'm going to get you there and there'll be no loss of any man's life, only of the ship and the cargo. He was just telling Paul, you know, life is more important than things. Amen. And so he's saying this, don't worry about that, I'll take care of all that. And so Paul, Paul at the right time, told the centurion, the shipmaster, and they were all broken, and they realized they'd been walking in the light of their own fire, and they had kindled sparks that they were walking, when they all realized that they were in darkness and they could do nothing to save themselves, Paul said, should be of good cheer. He says, an angel of God came to me, and I believe what he told me. He said, there should be loss of no man's life. And he said this to the, he said this to the shipmaster, the centurion, you should have listened to me, you should have obeyed the words that I told you. Living independent of God, trusting in your good works, 
trying to find a solution to sin other than the biblical solution, which is confessing your sin and walking with God. Trusting in our money, in our wisdom, our friends, our religion, whatever it may be. Walking in the light of our fire and sparks. The Bible says all it will result in will lie down in sorrow and hurt. There's a horror of darkness. There's a hindrance of darkness. I've got some good news for you this morning. Notice the help for our darkness. Amen? There's help for our darkness. Look at verse 7. For the Lord God will help me. Amen. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Look at verse 9. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Hey, there's help when you're in darkness. You don't have to make your own light and walk in the light of your own fire and the sparks that you've kindled. There's help from God. God is there to help us. Here's what Isaiah realized. The Lord God will help me. God is there for me. Would you notice some things that are so real about the help of God? Number one, His help is real. God's help is real. It is not make-believe. It is not mythical. It is not magical. It is not fabricated. It is not hope. So, hey, brother and sister in Christ, if you haven't experienced I want to tell you this morning, God's help in your life is a real help that He wants to give you today. Paul quotes from Romans 8, 33 and 34 in these verses. Who is he that will contend with me? Who is he that shall condemn me? You see, our thought needs to be this. Let your speech be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I want to tell you this morning that, listen, with all of our independence and with all of our savings and with everything we've got going on, we've got to realize that our 401k plans won't help us and the appreciation of our assets won't help us or the depreciation of our assets won't help us and our job security won't help us and all the... What will help us is God. We must have such a relationship with God that we can say boldly like Isaiah did, God is my helper. God is there for me. He's Eliezer, the Lord who's my help. God is there to sustain me. I want to tell you this morning, God's help in seasons of darkness is real. His help is real. By the way, His help is ready. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, He is near that justifies me. God is ready to help. God is there to help. God is at our side. The Lord is near. Being near means He's ready to spring to hell. It was wintertime in the northeastern part of our country. And a big snow flurry that day. These are these homes where you'd walk up in steps and uh, they were kind of like two or three story homes. You'd walk up these steps and on the first floor was the living area, the kitchen, the living area, so forth like that. And a boy about seven or eight years old had got an invitation from a friend of his two blocks away to go to the seventh or eighth birthday party of his friend. He was so looking forward to it. He had an invitation there. That morning he got all dressed up and got his snow boots on, got his, got his winter clothes on. He was all bundled up, got his cap, his mittens, everything on. And his dad said, son, where are you going? He said, there's a blizzard out there. You can't go out there. And he said, Dad, he said, today is, and he said, his friend's name, he says, today is Billy's birthday. And I got invited. And he said, I'm, I'm going to go to his birthday party. He says, son, you can't go out there. It's a blizzard. He said, but Dad, I got invited. And all the other kids are going to go there. And their parents are letting them go. He said, Dad, you got to let me go. I know how to get there. There's only two blocks. He said, son, it is so blizzardy out there. Everything's completely white. You don't know where you're going. You're going to get turned around and get lost out there. But after just pleading with his dad and begging his dad, finally the dad said, okay, son, I'll let you go. He checked his son over, went over direction, told him where to turn, how to turn left and go down the street, what to do. And he says, be careful this, be careful that. And make sure you see the signals and watch for, for whatever's going on out there. And he says, bear in mind, the snow is going to be blowing against you and you're going to just, it's going to be blinding white for you out there. And so the boy gave his dad a hug, said, thank you, dad, for letting me go. And the boy made his way down the stairs. And boy, this moment as he got on the sidewalk, he said, realize I don't even feel sidewalk. This is just a lot of snow. 
And he looked ahead, everything was just pure blizzard white. He's like, man, I've never seen anything like this before. I can't tell anybody's house. I don't know what's going on. And there's just this overcast day, and it's blurry, and it's snowing. And if you've ever been in town, kind of a blizzard type of snow, you know what that feeling's like? And the boy started trekking his way. There were no footprints ahead of him because whatever, whoever walked ahead of him, the snow, had, the snow that was coming down had covered it. So the boy was trying to make his way there. And what would have probably have taken about 10 or 15 minutes, took the boy over half an hour to get to his friend's house. But he kept going straight. He just knew, I'm going to go straight. I'm not going to turn anywhere. I'm not going to let the wind blow me about. And he had several times the wind blew and he kind of blew him back. And, but he kept making his way there. And finally saw that house. He'd been to that house many times. He said, I think this is the house. And he listened very carefully. There were some noises inside. He could hear all the other kids having a time. He said, that must be the place, the birthday party. And as the boy was about to turn, he was just about, about right to hear, about to turn, he saw a stealthy figure kind of move to the side there and towards the shadows. And he looked and he said, hey, that looks like my dad. He said, Dad, is that you? And his dad peeked his head out and he saw his dad. And he came to realize that along the way, for that 30 plus minutes, his dad trailed right behind him. His dad was there to make sure he got to his destination. Now listen, I'm going to tell you right now, God is not 50 feet away from us and God is not 100 feet away from us. I'm going to tell you, God is right at your side. Wherever you're going, whatever God wants you to do, He's always there. God is your helper no matter what it may be. His help is real. His help is ready. But notice in verses 7 and 8, the Bible tells us His help makes us resilient. Look what he says here. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Verse 8. Who is he that shall condemn me? Though they shall all wax old as a garment, the moth shall eat them up. You know, we face those dark moments. It doesn't mean the darkness is going to go away. But when we walk, when we're trusting in God, we're walking in the light of His fire. You know what's going on there? God gives us enough light for the next step. Now, what's scary about us for that is that we want to see farther than the next step. But the Bible says the word, the law, of the, the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. If you ever seen a Jewish lamp, you'll know that a Jewish lamp is not more than the size of your hand, the palm of your hand. And the oil amount that you put inside of it will probably be about this much oil with the wick stand extending outside the, the, only, the only mouth that it has for pouring out. And so you'll hold that lamp in your hand like this. You'll light that wick and, you'll, and, the, and the person as they're walking, they'll put it out like this, kind of like you'll do with your cell phone in darkness as you turn on the flashlight. It only gives, it lights up the area, but only enough for the very next step. And what God wants us to realize, we may not be able to see 50 steps ahead, and we may not be able to say 50 days ahead, let alone 50 minutes ahead, but God gives us enough for the next enough life for the next step. And so when he says, you can face the challenges. He gives you resilience. You don't have to worry about the adversary. You don't have to worry about the darkness. Yes, it'll be there, but God said he'll be there. He's with you along the way because his help is real and his help is ready and his help is resilient. Hey, listen, this morning, our help is in the Lord. One more thing we're done this morning. There's a horror of darkness, the hindrance of darkness, but notice the help in darkness. But notice as we close this morning, the hope for our darkness. Verse 10, who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant? His servant there is speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ. That hath walketh in darkness and has no light. Who among you is walking in darkness and has no light? That might be some of us this morning. Here's what he says. Here's our hope. Let him trust in the name of the Lord. Why? Because Proverbs tells us the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. In those days, and we read this in the Old Testament, kings would have an inner circle of men around them. Kings sometimes would lean upon the hands of their Lord 
of those men that were called lords, or the lords would lead upon the hands of their king. That was called staying upon his hand. Um, sometimes people would have a public meeting with someone they knew. And what is not unusual, we would think it a little bit strange in our culture. But it was not strange for men and men and women with women back in those days because there wasn't weirdness going on. They would lean upon the arms and the hands of one another. And to get further explanation of that, the Bible uses many illustrations of people who stayed upon somebody. When, when Abraham was visited in Genesis 18 by three angelic beings, you know what he said to them? One being the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, rest yourselves under the tree. Asa, when he prayed to God, the very first mention is he was going to be attacked by the Ethiopian king. He said, Lord, now I've lifted my prayer to you. We rest on thee. Solomon said, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean on into thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he should direct thy path. He's telling us the opposite there. He's saying, don't lean on your understanding, but lean upon the Lord. And brother and sister Christ, I close this morning. The greatest thought I want to give you is that the hope you and I have is by trusting God, we are leaning upon him. We're like old Jacob who had a rough time, who many times walked in the light of his own, who walked in the light that he kindled and the sparks that he had kindled. And he failed many times. You know all those signs of Jacob failed. But the Bible says at the end stage of his life, he still had that rod. He still had that shepherd's staff, which was symbolic of the rod, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says as he was old and he was about to die. He took to both sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. He brought them to him. He put his right hand on one, the left hand on the other, and he blessed him. And the Bible says, by faith, by faith, Jacob blessed both the sons of Jacob, leaning upon his staff, worshiping God. He knew that he could lean on God even in his old age. He knew that even in spite of all his failures, he could lean upon God and leaning upon the Lord, that would stay him. And that's what the word trust means. That's what faith means. What it means through life's difficulties and trials is you and I, we have the hope of knowing that we can lean upon the Lord and rest upon God, and we can trust Him exclusively, we can trust Him completely, we can, we can trust Him repeatedly over and over again, because the Bible says, let Him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon His God. Those boys and the two coaches in the Tom Luong cave were inside that cave for 18 days. On the 18th day, the rescue process began with a team of Navy SEALs. It took three days to get them out of that dark, murky, watery cavern. Fourteen trapped men were rescued. A Navy SEAL would swim in, find his way there, have an extra tank of oxygen, meet them. And can you imagine the delight and joy they had when the first Navy SEAL came out of that water, popped his head up and said, I'm here to save you. The two coaches, the 12 boys, could do nothing to find their way out of that cavern. Each one had to rest upon a Navy SEAL for that long seemingly almost impossible journey from the bottom where they were at, two and a half miles up all the way to the surface. 
They could do nothing in their own power. They had to rest upon those men to get them out. It took three days, but all 14 were rescued and spared from hurt. The rescue tent was not without peril. One Navy SEAL in the beginning had gone in and out doing survey. On the way back, something happened. That Navy SEAL died of asphyxiation. Another Navy SEAL who had brought a couple boys out contracted some type of blood infection. A year later, he died. It was not without risk, without peril to those rescuers. You know, Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to die for your sins and mine. The greatest rescue attempt that ever happened was when Jesus came 2,000 years ago and died on the cross for our sins. That's why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because it's the entrance of our Lord Jesus Christ into this world where God was manifest in the flesh and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glories of the only begotten of Father full of grace and truth. Jesus' rescue attempt was not without peril and danger. He gave His life so that you and I could be saved. And all He asked of you and I is that we would lean upon Him, that we stay upon our God, that we trust Him, that we realize we cannot walk in the light of our own fire and kindle, walk in the sparks that we've kindled. We must trust in God. Hey, there comes a time, listen, I'm done. There comes a time when all of our experience, everything we've read, all the manuals we have, all the advice we've gotten from people, all the doctors we see, all the financial gurus we talk to, all the experts in this and that, there comes a time we're going to realize all that's going to fail because eventually we're going to realize we're walking the light of our fire and the sparks we kindle. We're going to have to learn completely like a baby to trust and lean upon God. Would you stay upon God? Would you trust Him? Would you believe Him? Or are you going to keep walking the light of your own fire? And the Bible says you should lie down in sorrow. Eventually you're going to lie down in sorrow. That's what the Bible says. That's what it says right there. It's right there. Or are you going to realize this morning that I can lean upon God? And He may only give me enough light for the next step, but that's better than walking in darkness without light. And that's better than walking the light of the fire I've created and the sparks that I've kindled. You know, so basic this morning, He's our help. He's our hope. He gave His life for you and I. The Christian life journey begins with faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for your sins. It doesn't stop there. We walk by faith. Not by sight. You know what sight is? Sight is looking at your portfolio and say, oh, I'm doing well. Sight is looking at the blood test results and say, oh, my blood panel results are good. I'm doing well. Sight is looking at the newspaper and say, things are going well. But you know what faith is? Faith, 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 uh, faith is basically seeing the invisible. Faith is realizing, is seeing what God, only God wants us to see. It's realizing God gives us enough life for the next, the next step. Walking faith is trusting God. Walking faith is saying, Lord, I'm dependent upon you. I'm trusting you for everything I do. And listen, we have to get this place in our life of realizing if we're going to just attain to that place where God wants us to grow and to be, we've got to walk in faith and we've got to lean upon the Lord. And we've got to stay upon Jehovah. We've got to be like those boys that got rescued. We've got to grasp hold of that Navy SEAL and watch as he makes his way up. It's not going to be without a few bumps along the way and it's not going to be without the darkness, but along the way, we're going to get out of that cavern and we're going to get out of this situation because you know what? Our help is in the Lord. Let your speech be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. Put your faith in God. Trust in Him. Lean upon Him. Let go of our logic. Let go of our wisdom. Let's let go of earthly wisdom that is sensual and devilish and let's have the heavenly wisdom, that wisdom which is from above, which is first pure than peace and when easy being treated. 
that wisdom that can get us through our difficulties in situation life.